You are now listening to What the Hell, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 54 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire, and today I'm joined by special guest, Dr. D.H. John Kim. Dr. Kim is the owner and pharmacist in charge of Robinson Drug and Compounding Center. His interest in compounding grew since his early days of pharmacy school, which led him to complete his pharmacy, pharmacy externship at the Professional Compounding Center of America in Houston, Texas. After obtaining his Doctor of Pharmacy, he completed his fellowship in anti-aging and regenerative functional medicine from the American Academy of Anti-Aging. His interests include bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, women's health, autism, vector-borne illness, nutrition, and cannabis medicine. His patient care expanded into specialty care services dealing with IBS, multiple sclerosis, hepatitis C, rheumatoid arthritis, and psoriasis. Dr. Kim actively lectures in pharmacist educational events in a matter of functional medicine, cannabis medicine, and complementary therapies in treating complex disease states. Dr. Kim is an advocate for healthy living and alternative functional medicine and has a large social media following on Instagram. He presents cutting edge health information to manage chronic illness and has become an advocate for medical freedom. On Thursday evenings, Dr. Kim invites healthcare professionals on his Dr. Kim livecast show to discuss various health topics. I am so honored to have him as a guest on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kim. Nina, thank you so much. Yeah. So you have a really interesting background with functional, functional medicine, but not just that you have a background in pharmacy as well. So you kind of see both ends of the spectrum, but then you have this pharmacy component. I would love to hear about how you got into this line of work and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, it's been a, a, a journey for me. Um, but actually, before we start, I mean, I'm so thankful for you to invite me uh, on your podcast to share this particular message of health with your listeners. So mm. thank you so much for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. So, you know, everybody has a journey in dealing with health and as well as more of an enlightening moment that they have in their life. And that particular enlightenment end up having to really change the course of your career and as was your calling. So uh, in the pharmacy school that I was at, it was a six-year pharmacy program. And the last year is basically an externship that you have to do rotating at uh, different clinics, hospitals, and as well as pharmacies alone. The issue that I saw when I was actually working in the ICU unit and including the ER and several other um, hospital units, the entire medical system I saw did not really make sense in terms of what I thought the healthcare system was. What I saw was basically patients coming in and out of the hospital, the same patients, you think that they would end up having to take a grasp of their health and taking their medications and trying to uh, treat their illness as best as it can, but never happened. I, I actually specifically saw a diabetic patient coming in and out almost every week because of an uncontrolled blood sugar level, including having issues to deal with severe neuropathy, um, 
and everything else that goes on with the complication of diabetes. And so I really was questioning myself in terms of, is this the type of practice that I want to run, right? Do I want to become a, just a pharmacist, end up having to just dispense medication and not treating the issue behind what's causing the disease? And that's what it what comes out to. Mm-hmm. So luckily enough, I did an internship down in Houston, Texas, uh, Professional Compounding Center of America. That's where the overall calling ended up having to be come into play was because I was able to shadow a pharmacist and he was doing the exactly the one that I wanted to do. He was consulting patients about how to treat themselves properly in terms of utilizing nutrition, not drugs, but nutrition. He was really teaching me about the concept of inflammation. We talk about inflammation, but I never really knew how that actually into, uh, into play into um, how that is dealing with the overall disease state. Um, how it can actually lead into cancer and everything else. So that was a really eye-opening moment for me to learn about it from him. And at the same time, biggest question I actually had was, how do I start? Because pharmacy school education does not teach you to get into nutrition or functional medicine or anything related to that. Even if you decide to go to uh, medical school, that's never been taught. And so these are things that I wanted to know. So it took me a lot of uh, searching uh, in terms of the right training, but I found out that uh, after pharmacy school and getting into Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine and doing their fellowship program was a right fit for me. Uh, And so that particular fellowship program was almost in an infancy at that point in time. So I was really the early adopters getting in. I probably was probably with uh, two or three pharmacists there uh, one of the probably youngest one there, because I just got into it right after pharmacy school to begin with, I didn't know much, but everything was just fascinating how different biochemical pathways was starting to make sense. in terms of what I learned in pharmacy school on top of certain nutritions and as well as, um, entire body process of dealing with hormones, um, stress management, nutrition, and everything else. Now, the biggest thing that I had to take away from that was in terms of the didactic lecture material was not enough for me to become who I am now was because of the fact that I didn't have much clinical experience. Mm-hmm. So it took me well over you know, a few years to get into the overall uh, mindset of functional medicine and, and looking at these things because you, know, you yourself as, as myself have to get into that lifestyle of preventive medicine and, and doing that, and then able to instill that aspect of it to my clients or patients, but I didn't have that. So, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes and, and, uh, thinking that certain, you know, vitamins is going to work, didn't work at all. Or I think that this is going to be as such, not at all. And so there was a lot of, um, ups and downs and, and trials and errors and, soon I realized was that the best teachers are your patients, all right? Uh, even yourself, uh, you probably know that your clientele are your best teachers because that's where you really hone in your skills and knowing uh, you know, what to do in certain clinical scenarios. And as well as every book material that you probably end up having to get, it's not it. The everyday experience you need to really get into is by jumping into that pool and really learning about, and as well as taking care of your patients and able to 
hold their hands and coach them to a better health and as well as a better life. Mm -hmm. That is so true. I mean, you can read all the books in the world and textbooks, but until you're actually sitting in front of a client or a patient, you don't know, because, you know, this is a concept of bio-individuality, which you talk about, which, you know, we're a part of a community that talks about, Um, you know, I'd like for you to explain to our listeners the difference between conventional medical approaches and functional medical approaches to health. Yeah, absolutely. So conventional medicine is basically what we are used to these days. It's basically allopathic medicine where you're individually looking at certain organ systems or certain aspect of the body and there's different specialties, right? So generally a lot of patients are going to their uh, general practitioners like an internist to take care of their regular needs. But then if you are needing a certain things like thyroid support, you probably end up having to go to your endocrinologist. Uh, if you have gastrointestinal issues, maybe you have IBS, you end up having to go to your endocrinologist, uh, I'm sorry, gastroenterologist, excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's really individually based on your organ system. However, functional medicine looks at much more differently. Functional medicine looks at the, just the word function of the entire body and how different aspect of nutrition, uh, aspect dealing with immune health, uh, gastrointestinal, uh, sleep, lifestyle, as well as stress management, hormonal health, all into play into the component of health and that person's well-being. Mm. And as well as looking at the overall root cause of the disease itself. Disease did not just come up just because you're old, it came because of the overall aspect of inflammation and everything I just talked about before having to have certain type of issues and that built that issue end up having to build up to what is manifesting as a disease. Mm. Uh, so perfect example is autoimmune disease where in now that we could run certain markers um, by running a test and check for certain markers to predict that you may have autoimmune disorders 10 years before. Wow. So if you could control those particular aspects of and looking at these things as the most important part, right? So interleukin 17 is probably the, one of the markers they could probably check for by just drawing a blood. And that is sometimes can be an overall predictor to having autoimmune issues later in your life. So these are things that we really have to look at, not just about having to treat the patient when they have the disease, but can we optimize that patient's health by doing the preventative uh, measures, by lifestyle changes, looking at certain lab markers, and really helping the patient from the get-go before we see a disease happening. And this is the one thing that I always end up having to argue about with my colleagues and some of the doctors is that you know, I have patients coming in um, and, you know, he's like, oh, you know, uh, Dr. John, I, I just found out that I have a high sugar level. I was like, oh yeah, so, so what's the number? And they tell me the number. I'm like, well, you know, you should start exercising and able to change your diet. And, and these are things that I really recommend doing. So what did your doctor recommend? Well, he just told me to see and watch and see what happens. And then when the number, certain numbers hits, then we'll treat it with metformin that's not how we should be treating medicine at this point in time, but that's how we are, are taught. 
And the crazy aspect, uh, crazy thing that I see is that we as a healthcare professional, it doesn't make a difference if you're MD, pharmacist, or um, physician assistant, or whatever it is, that we think that the drug is the main answer for every disease possible, mm-hmm. except for really addressing the lifestyle changes, really how you eat, uh, sleep, managing stress, and everything else that goes on, even talking about the overall gut health, microbiome, how that actually comes into effect. We don't talk any about it, anything about it because I, I kind of jokingly say, and I think there's a bit of a truth in that because the entire healthcare system and the education is an indoctrinated system that if you don't follow a certain protocol, right, that you're not really doing medicine. Protocol is just a protocol. You have to really look at the individual aspect of how to handle health um, in looking at different aspects of it rather than treating something by you're shoving some pill uh, in your mouth and then thinking that that's going to do the trick because it doesn't. It actually causes more damage than anything else in the body. And there's something called a drug-induced nutritional depletion where taking a drug actually can deplete your nutrition in your body resulting in other issues, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. metformin, one of the things I just mentioned about, it's a diabetes medication, but that actually also depletes B vitamins, B, so B complex, zinc, CoQ10, right? A lot of the cofactors dealing with what? Mitochondria health, as well as your adrenal. You need B complex to manage your uh, sugar level. You know, all these things end up having to cause more damage, but mm-hmm. we don't talk about those. No. And you know, like, because doctors only have a specified amount of time with a patient, mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate. I, I sing praises to my doctor all the time because he also, you know, swings more to the natural side. Um, and I'm very fortunate in Canada to have someone like that. I mean, right. like he recommended that I do a SIBO test when I, when I had all of these gut issues, right. Instead of just like leaving me with a diagnosis of IBS from a previous doctor. Yes. Um, but you know, doctors spend 15 minutes with their patient well, how do you get to know someone's lifestyle in 15 minutes? You don't get to know their lifestyle. You get to know what symptoms they have and you just treat the, the ill with a pill. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's how the medicine is right now. And um, it's really dealing with the overall HMO. Uh, um, I, I don't know much about the overall healthcare system in Canada to begin with. I do have several colleagues up there. Uh, matter of fact, I have a, a great pharmacist friend. He actually lives in Winnipeg and mm. he was my actual mentor uh, in doing functional medicine. So he's up there, but is the overall issue dealing with insurance companies and how they end up having to dictate in terms of, you know, how many patients you have to see, what you have to build to get certain payments and everything else. So again, you're not doing healthcare but you're doing sick care than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a very important point. You're just like managing sickness. You're not creating health, which is so unfortunate because if you do want to see someone like you or you know, a functional medicine doctor in Canada, I mean, you're looking at, you're going to have a, a personal bill of a minimum of $5,000 by the time all is said and done. Yeah. 
It's right. it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's so again, uh, I I'm a big strong believer that the doctor of the future is you. That you as a patient have to be empowered to take care of yourself from the get go, mm -hmm. right?、Mm -hmm. And that particular aspect is overall deals with the fact that it literally changes the aspect of health, your mental health, and everything else, and including instilling that healthy lifestyle to your family, your kids, and that particular message actually gets resonated with everybody else. So I'm all all about community health as well. So that's、mm -hmm. why you're supporting each other, not just about the individual, but the overall community end up having to change. And so the healthcare aspect of it should be starting with the individual, not from the doctor, but the individual, end up having to be a spreading of a message.、Mm, I love that. Let's talk about inflammation because you touched on it, and it was kind of like a perfect segue. It's something that you talk. Extensively about on your Instagram, which I love your Instagram. Not only are you really informative, but you also inject some pretty funny stuff in there, and so it's it's humorous as well as informative. So right, it's a it's an awesome Instagram page. But、Thank、let's、you. talk. <laughs> let's talk about inflammation. What is this broad term of inflammation? What does it mean? Can you explain it? And what do we do about it? Oh geez, so that that's like you can talk <laughs> about that for three hours. I mean, that, I don't even know where to start at this point when you talk about inflammation. So, basically, thinking about as a simple way to put it, inflammation deals with the fact that you have multiple cellular damages that goes on because of overall stress that goes on the body, and that stress. Is equal to inflammation,、mm. right? So inflamed, you're basically talking about a fire that's happening in the body at this point in time, and that particular、uh, fire is the cause and the root cause of multiple multiple disease that people might be suffering from. We talked about diabetes before,、mm -hmm. but even the increase in prevalence of autoimmune disorder that's happening right now, that in itself is caused from inflammation. Mm -hmm. Inflammation also causes a a、um, modulation, so change in your overall immune system, which sounds crazy, but it does because your your body's immune system is there to keep a check and balance between healing and as well as to cause inflammation to promote healing as well. So inflammation is not a bad thing. So case in point, when you are,、um, at, let's just say you you. Get a cut, or even get a a bump on your skin. What happens is that your skin is inflamed, so it becomes red, right? Or let's just you get a cut, and that particular place is very tender. Is because your overall body's immune system is there to keep you healthy, right?、Mm -hmm. If that inflammation wasn't there, the pathogen could end up having to be coming into that particular cut, and you have an infection. And if you don't have your immune systems there. Gosh, I mean that inflammation can lead in、uh, infection can lead into you know systemic inf、uh, infection to sepsis and everything. So your、mm. inf your inflammation is basically the the overall dealing with the immune system. But when you have a constant stress going on, and that's this is the whole ter ter term called micro inflammation, right? It's not even just that, but the big inflammatory issues, but the micro inflammation. So every day there's a type of stress that goes on. Leading into a manifestation of a disease,、mm. right? So let's talk about a cardiovascular health 
that we could easily understand about, you don't have a heart attack just because you have a high cholesterol level, mm-hmm. right? And this is the, also the misconception that high cholesterol is the, the cause of a heart disease. That's not the case. It's the sugar and the glycation process. And that glycation is basically the inflammation of a sugar oxidizing. So, so basically burning the fat resulting in when you burn sugar and fat, what happens? It congeals, it hardens, right? So that's basically the atherosclerotic plaque that occurs. But what caused that issue? Well, it's because of um, the fact that high stress could be leading into that particular inflammation that goes on. You're probably eating a lot of sugar, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's causing the glycation, the inflammation that's co- causing it. You have uh, insulin resistance. So high sugar level, high insulin level, resulting in the fact that you're going to be leading into something called insulin resistance. So your insulin is not going to work that well. So again, inflammation. Mm-hmm. right? Also having high sugar level and inflammation can also lead into leaky gut syndrome. So you have inf- uh, your stomach and as well as your intestinal lining becomes inflamed, resulting in uh, this thing called a tight junction within your intestine becomes not tight and tight anymore. So it's called the leaky gut. So you have different pathogens like lipoprotein saccharide. So LPS uh, causing a micro inflammation or stress within the gut and that also lead into the additive effect of the disease state, which can manifest into a cardiovascular issues or heart attack, mm-hmm. right? So I went in multiple ways, but there is no real easy way to really discuss about inflammation without telling you that, yes, if you look at the word inflammation in the middle, there's multiple you know, uh, chains and, and links that goes on that you have to look at inflammation in a more of a broader picture and looking at how do we call how do we tackle that root cause so you're not just looking at the inflammation alone but looking at overall aspect in terms of stress gut function immune health hormonal imbalance uh, sleep as well as meditation really looking at working with your parasympathetic nervous system and just being grounded and creating a homeostasis in the body, right? Everybody has a up and down in their life, but can you control that aspect of it and keep that at bay and then making into a homeostasis? And that's something that is hard to achieve, but it's something that is lost, right? And that also is a overall root cause of a disease. Mm. Um, So that's something that I end up having to really talk about, preach about, um, and, uh, I wish I actually had this type of, uh, long recording session to really talk about this really, but you know, everybody has to look at their health much more differently rather than just taking a pill or thinking that, oh, you know what, if I just pick up a salad one day, it's going to be the fixing it. Now, that's not the case at all. Right. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just the start, but you have to take that start and initiating different things. Yeah. I love how you, um, explained inflammation, like inflammation in it, in and of itself isn't bad. Our body needs it in order for us to live right without it, we would die. Um, but it's that chronic state, you know, I study psychology and we talk about stress and the stress response is absolutely needed for survival. But when we're under chronic stress, that's when our body starts to break down. And it's, um, I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's not, it's not a revelation to you or I that, you know, all of these systems work in the same way in tandem, right. but 
it just shows like it's not it's not the thing in and of itself. It's the chronic underlying condition that it causes. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, what are, so, oh yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, that's why I say it's all about the microinflammation. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit, you're just adding onto that pile. You're just basically thinking about a dirty laundry, you're just adding into that pile. And then what happens? Everything just collapses. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. What are some of, the main things that contribute to inflammation, chronic inflammation? You know, wow, that really depends on the patient. But if you look at the overall dealing inflammation is, is diet mm-hmm. is the American slash Canadian diet, if you want to call it, <laughs> right. <laughs> or the Western diet. Yeah. Um, it's really different because, you know, I, I'm a Korean American. I grew, I was born in Korea. I came here, came here when I was nine years old. And the, let's just talk about snacks alone, right? Um, if you look at a Korean snack, for instance, you know, they, we put in a lot of things like fruit, nuts. Um, we utilize rice syrup instead of using sugar, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying that rice syrup is any better, but it's just not a, not a regular refined sugar. But we also add in a different fermented uh, fruits and, and, and uh, vegetables in there into, the, into our snack. We use seaweed as a snack. So again, why I'm actually mentioning that is because the overall snack, even just the nutrition aspect of it and food alone is very, very different in the Eastern culture versus the Western culture. You know, I actually have a good friend, I think you should actually reach out to, uh, she's a pharmacist, but she's also a certified nutritionist. Mm. Um, and her name is Dr. Lara Zachariah. Now she has a Lebanese background, even her, we were talking about this. I was like, you know, in our overall background growing up, if you look at our overall snack that we look at, it wasn't filled with flour, refined flowers or anything like that. It was actually really nutritious. Mm-hmm. of ha- having to add those healthy fats in there, uh, you know, complex carbohydrates, uh, you know, fermented food to add into our overall gut function and everything, right? I don't think the overall cultures at that point in time were so complex in terms of thinking about microbiome and everything else, yeah. but really the culture aspect that was so, so different. And so if you look at the overall issue dealing with COVID-19 right now, right? the overall prevalence of high mortality issue in United States compared to, let's just say South Korea, South Korea was much, much less. Now, everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, it was because of mask use and everything else. That's not the case. There was a study that came out looking at the overall microbiome status and as was dietary aspect that really determined if you go and check to have a worsening outcome or not, right? So, for instance, Koreans eat kimchi. Kimchi is a fermented uh, cabbage that's chock full of good set of probiotic and as well as quercetin. So those two combinations alone end up having to really uh, support the immune system, puts the gut function at check, right? And then we have all these data that's coming out saying that if you have a poor microbiome status, you have a poor COVID-19 stat- status, you're going to have high mortality rate, right? We know all these things, but then if you look at America, and this is something that I actually was 
you know, screaming out of my lungs back in March of last year, mm-hmm. the biggest risk factor for United States during COVID times, especially here right now, is obesity, right? Everybody's like, oh, you know, COVID-19 is so serious because everybody's dying. Yes, it is serious. But what's the root cause of the issue that we, we're not talking about? There's obesity that majority of Americans are unhealthy, and even the overall 70% of the mortality that actually occurred because of COVID-19, people were heavily, heavily overweight, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so you got to look at these things much more differently and having to talk about the culture aspect of a uh, diet that has to be talked about. And I, I'm so grateful that I grew up in Korea and having to um, you know, think about these things. I mean, when I was little, my grandmother always took me to an acupuncturist, right? When I've actually had a cold, my acupuncturist like, you know what? Have more kimchi. Right now, I'm like thinking about, that was so ingenious, right? So you ingenious. had, so ingenious, right? You had quercetin already impact, you know, packed full there. You had good set of microbiome to, to begin with. So overall things that you really needed, you were getting that from food, not a vitamin store or anything like that, but food. So food has to be the first thing that we have to talk about than anything else. But when you look at a Western culture, the overall inflammation and disease states really happening is because of we're we having, you know, re- use of refined sugar, you have genetically modified wheat, soy, right? Those also causes high inflammation in your gut, mm-hmm. right? You also have a sedentary lifestyle. And also we, when you're talking about the Western culture as well, there's no concept of rest, right? In, in, in the Eastern uh, cultures, there's a lot of dealing with resting, right? We also promote to go out and get some fresh air, right? If you look at the Chinese culture, what do they do? They do a lot of Tai Chi mm-hmm. and all these things is because we, they already knew from far uh, beyond our understanding that the overall body is interconnected with our earth mm-hmm. and that that whole thing is going to really keep us at bay in terms of controlling our stress, our emotions, and our health in check. And there's studies available how meditation and Tai Chi is able to help to reduce inflammation, Mm. right? So again, it's the culture that we have to change, right? And that culture has to be changed within a person's household or within you as a person. So this is where you're able to instill a healthy lifestyle. And that's the way to fix inflammation, not from, you know, uh, taking vitamins or fish oil and everything else, because it doesn't make a difference how much you take fish oil. If you have an onset of inflammation and not trying to fix that overall root cause. And I talk about root cause as a, as a culture and even mm-hmm. dealing with lifestyle and everything else that has to be fixed first. Mm-hmm. You know, even it was, it was, in within the Asian culture where we really learned about gut health and how it's, I mean, they say it's the seat of our health. Right. And then Western medicine is like, Oh yeah, maybe the microbiome is important. It's like, I mean, this has been a, this has been a forefront in Eastern medicine forever. Right. Like it's, it's all about gut health and fire and, and cooling and all of these different things. And you know, Western medicine is kind of slowly understanding, but they're still very much, you know, the lifestyle practices, because like we said, it's so individual, 
they just don't have the time, nor do they really care to take the time. It's not. It's because the overall medical education system, even pharmacy education system, is based by the big pharmas. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there's cat, cats out of the back. You know, everybody should be realizing that your overall education you get from medical school and pharmacy school is based on what big pharma and the big researching uh, money coming from is really teaching you and really is putting you in that system. So it's a way you're become a slave to the system mm. and able and just practicing based on the system that they created for you. Right. But then when you get out of that system and taking that particular red pill and finding that there's a lot more uh, behind the overall med- so-called medicine healthcare, now you're looking at much broader aspect of, Hey, you know what? A lot of things that I was, uh, was learning about doesn't make sense anymore. Right. Why are we doing these things when we know that this particular aspect could end up having to work. Right. And that is, was a night and day difference in terms of how COVID measures was handled as well. Right. Mm-hmm. I think Canada has a, probably the worst. Awful. <laughs> Awful. Awful. <laughs> um, and United States is just completely ass backwards still. Yeah. Right. Uh, but you know, we haven't really discussed anything to do with lifestyle changes, utilizing certain things like zinc, vitamin D to prevent, mm-hmm. uh, as well as how do we change the overall mindset of people looking at the thing called a virus, right? Virus, even right now, I mean, you have different variants. I mean, I had a patient that walked in yesterday and she's just like, you know, I'm worried about the, the Lambda, I'm worried about the Delta. I'm like, <laughs> How many more variants are you going to be worried about? I mean, there's, there's going to be so many other Greek letters that's going to come up. Are you going to be worried about everything else? And then she's like, you know, I'm a very holistic person. And um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do anything. And I'm looking at her. I'm just like, you're holistic, but all due respect, you're metabolically challenged. Yeah. I see that you have vascular issues because your legs are completely swollen. Mm-hmm. You're already having... Um, respiratory issues, just walking up the stairs into the pharmacy. So you're not that healthy, yeah. right? You, you mean, I, I, I hate to say this, man, but you're not that healthy. You need to really look at what's causing this. And you have to think about this instead of being, oh, I'm a holistic and I don't take any medications. That's yeah. great. But you have a lot of issues right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, this is what we need to talk about. I'm with you. I, you know, back in March, I said, you know, with my personal training um, background, I was talking about fitness and I got crucified for it by uh, people in the fitness industry saying I was cold and heartless, but we're in this society that's so hypersensitive and saying you need to lose weight isn't woke. So you can't say that but you need to say that, right? Like Canada is the same as the U S 86%. I think it was had three or more comorbidities. 87% of those people had hypertension. You're like, come on. The writing is right here. I mean, the stats are right here. We had a year and a half and we're still not talking about it. Still not talking about it. Right. So again, this is a brokenness of the entire healthcare system or the sick sick care system that we actually have is because of how do we fatten the wallets of big pharma, right? Even big pharma alone, and this is something that a lot of people don't know about, is because big pharma is not just 
owned by those people that are, you know, working and, and be part of the big pharma world is the overall bankers, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at BlackRock, for instance, I mean, we could, this is off topic of what we're talking about mm -hmm. at this point in time, but the overall financial industry is really looking at the profit margins of the investors. And how do we rake so much money out of the big pharma is based on what the bankers are planning on doing, right? Mm -hmm. Even BlackRock, for instance, they also owns the media companies, right? So again, who are we fighting? We're not fighting big pharma. We also have to look at who's really causing all these issues, the financial and then the banking industry that's looking at these as well. Mm -hmm. So again, if you want to talk about root cause, let's look at the root cause of the social aspect of, of issues that we actually have at this point. Mm -hmm. And even, I mean, Canada is completely different about this, but in the United States right now, ever since Obamacare kicked in, the entire medical system has turned into a corporate medical system, right? So the corporations dictate in terms of how a doctor or nurse or, or pharmacy has to be run. Yeah, I, I do get that. Healthcare is, is business as well, right? Everybody has to make a profit. Everybody has to be paid and be profitable and everything, right? So that makes sense. I own a business as well. I do get that. But when you have to have a corporate entity making all those decisions, at the end of it all, you're not really practicing medicine. You're practicing based on how do we maximize profit and, and nothing more. And that's the reason why there's a unnecessary, you know, labs that's being done or unnecessary treatments, right? And, and then also another thing that a lot of these medical practices look at is how do we optimize billing? So this way we make a lot more profit. Mm -hmm. Right. So are we looking at the benefit of the patient? Not many cases at all. And so this is the biggest issue that we see. And even if you look at the overall, some of the ther therapies that are you know, available for COVID-19, right. For instance, like ivermectin, um, hydroxychloroquine wasn't that, uh, wasn't that good in terms of data, but ivermectin is shown to be working very, very well, but they are still not talking about that. Why It's because it's not a sexy drug. Right. If you could sell a drug like Mendensivir or only other expensive antiretroviral drugs, that's more profitable for to fattening up the big pharma's and, and the biotech world and, and then the bankers and their investors and et cetera, not the actual solution that we're looking for. Right. How many billionaire corporate uh, people uh, there are now ever since the COVID-19 vaccines has been rolled out? Right. I'm not saying, you know, not get the vaccine. That's not my point is the overall, why are we not talking about the therapies and just yeah. looking at the expensive options, looking at vaccines and everything else. There's, there's a, there's really a lot of sinister thing going on. I really don't like, but the thing is, if I talk about these things freely on a, on an internet or even Instagram these days, I get completely shut down. I mean, mm -hmm. as you saw that I, I do have a backup page now because I got flagged twice by yeah. Instagram talking about these things, right? Mm -hmm. I, uh, I also had a person complain that I was fat shaming somebody. I'm just like, no. <laughs> oh man, I, I, I don't know what to start. <laughs> I don't know where to start either, but you know, it, it's encouraging to see that you know, we're, our voices are not alone. We're a part of the same community. We follow many of the same people and they're credible voices out there saying like, look guys, there's another way 
it's not saying 100% don't get the vaccine or don't do any of that, but it's like, are you going to keep living this life where what happens when the real pandemic comes along? Like the one that wipes out half of the world population. Cause this wasn't it. No, like this, this was definitely it. This is definitely not it. So what are no. you going to do? Like, what are you going to do in the meantime? Nothing, right. nothing. So it has not really changed. And even if you look at the data, um, the overall obesity rate in kids went up since last year, because mm-hmm. what, what are the kids doing? They're just sitting in front of a TV, snacking on, they're not really active, right? Um, so again, what type of generation are we creating right now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's just the, uh, you know, same thing as like the book called Animal House by George Orwell. It's basically, yep. you're, you're same thing, right? You're just fattening up, right, for the next slaughter. So this is the concept that I want to really instill people that, you know what, you have to look at these things much more differently and, and don't be the victim, right? You want to be the victor of your person and really taking charge of your life right? Keeping yourself healthy, you know, sleeping well, eating well, pooping well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, peeing well, and overall being happy and being productive. And that, that's the one thing that I really want to instill with people rather mm-hmm. than being stressed out and worried about which, you know, Lambda or Delta is going to kill me later on. So these are things. What are some common um, food culprits you think we need to take out of our diet the most mm. sugar. Yeah. But sugar is the biggest culprit. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, get rid of sugar completely, but there's other ways to sweeten your food, honey, right? You have agave, uh, as well as, uh, I hate stevia, but stevia could be one of the things I think stevia can actually actually can cause a lot of gastrointestinal issues. Yeah. It, it, it also like spikes your blood sugar as it well. Does. Um, it does. And it, it tricks your body because it's sweeter, sweeter, but then there's a certain amount of concentration that you have to keep because stevia can be very bitter too. Mm. So, but I just don't like the aftertaste. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I don't really recommend it, but you know, honey, so sugar is the main culprit that you have to really keep in check. It's not the overall dealing with the fact that it's the fat, right? Everybody thinks it's the fat. It's a fried food. Yes, but you have to look at fat in terms of what type of fat we're talking about. Are we talking about the oxidized fat like omega-6, right? That's actually has been shown to causing cardiovascular issues. And then if you add in sugar on top of that, you're just basically throwing kerosene into a flame of fire. It's causing more issues. And that particular aspect of that, especially sugar, can actually deplete your magnesium, vitamin D, and other issued going down the overall biochemical pathway resulting in poor nutritional status for the patient. And that can overall damage additional issues, right? So again, sugar intake has to be controlled. Like simple thing, if you look at, if you go into your refrigerator and if you see anything that deals with high fructose corn syrup, right? Or pure cane, what uh, pure cane sugar, if you could get rid of it, get rid of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then having to instill a better health in terms of eating healthier fats. And so if you're eating healthier fats, like adding in avocado or, um, or ghee or something on that line, that also cause 
you to feel a lot more satisfied and full. And that also helps to maintain your sugar level in a consistent manner. So this way you're not craving for another sugary things out there. Now, mm-hmm. mind you, there are conditions where that particular sugar craving or salt craving is going to be very, very tough to do. Also, actually, one last thing. Sugar, I'm sorry, salt is not a bad thing. People think that salt is the overall issue dealing with high blood pressure and things like that. But yes, if you're dealing with refined salt, that could be a problem. But if you're actually adding in Himalayan or sea salt, salt is really what's really needed to actually help to maintain a homeostasis and proper cardiovascular function and everything else, right? So again, salt is not the big problem. There's a good book uh, that's written by Dr. Um, James uh, DiNicotello. He's a pharmacist, but he actually had written a book called The Salt Factor. Uh, and he explains it very, very well. I actually learned a lot from him. Um, very, very knowledgeable guy. And so if you get a chance to interview him, I, he could be a um, great mind to uh, pick brains on. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I love that you said that about salt. It's like everyone's blaming salt for blood pressure. I'm like, what about sugar and causing the high blood pressure? Yeah, sugar is a big problem, right? So sugar, uh, overall sugar has to be get, uh, gotten rid of. And as well as anything that's actually genetically modified. Now, mm-hmm. again, this is the biggest thing that we have to talk about is the overall cost of the food too. Mm-hmm. So if you could afford to eat organic, great. But if you cannot, don't worry about it, right? But one thing that we have to really talk about is how do we get rid of anything that's containing sugar, you know, fried and um, all that line to get rid of. So this way you have to at least start a healthier lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And if you could eat cleaner, you know, home cooked meal, that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So what are well, like, what are your thoughts? Cause some people are like vehemently against like gluten and dairy and grains. Like what are your views on that in terms of inflammation? I love choco croissant. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so no, um, uh, you know, I'll be a liar saying that, oh, you know, I don't eat gluten at all. No, I actually love choco croissant. I mean, gosh, I mean, when I was in um, Quebec and, and um, you know, just roaming around the street and getting, getting some fresh, fresh French pastries, I mean, that's mm-hmm. like my ideal thing. I mean, even if you go to Europe, they eat gluten all the time, yeah. but they don't necessarily have the overall health issue, especially the gut issue that we have in America is because the, the wheat that they use is not genetically modified as in terms of what it is. The reason that the wheat and then the, the grains that we use is genetically modified is to increase the gluten content, right? To make the, uh, gluten a lot more stickier and, and, and that overall aspect of it, that's the issue. And so mm-hmm. if I eat too much bread, for instance, I mean, I get bloated, but if I go to, let's just say, I mean, I was in Spain back in November of 2019, every tap up bar that you go to, they give you crackers and bread and things like that had zero issues. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's the overall American diet. That's a problem. And, yeah. and, and this is the, where the food industry is for profit, not in terms of giving you the, the best source, you know, natural things possible. Mm. So, 
Um, did I answer your question? Sorry. I, I yeah. Was like going like, yeah. You know, it's okay. nice because some people are like, they're really diehard and it's like, you, you know, the overall message is swinging to extremes. Isn't the way to go, but you need to understand where your food comes from and the quality of it and, and being able to make changes based on where you live. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, even for me, um, you know, some people are like, oh, you shouldn't be eating any grains. So no rice. But then as a Korean American, our overall diet is actually based on rice. And then you actually have, you know, healthy soup and then some side dishes and things like that is all a lot of times is a very balanced diet. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, if you look at the overall American diet, that's not the case. You have a high levels of simplified carbohydrate, mm -hmm. you know, very low protein intake and, and even low fat intake, right? We give a lot of saturated fats, but not the good healthy fats, right? So the PUFAs of the world, poly unsaturated fatty acids, um, and as well as, uh, you know, adding in other issues that goes into play, like certain chemicals, certain, um, dyes, certain uh, fillers and all these things, um, that's actually into playing in terms of the American food culture that leading into the chronic issues that we see, right? Mm -hmm. So even, mm -hmm. at, even a person that goes into, let's just say, uh, a, a supermarket and decide to get, I don't know, uh, oat milk or, or uh, almond milk, think that, thinking that that's a really healthy, but if you look at the over ingredients, like carrageenan, that's actually yeah. there, yeah. that causes heavy, heavy inflammation in the gut and that's actually could cause additional symptoms for people with IBS. Yeah. Right? But you know, even if the healthy food is tainted now. Mm -hmm. So again, you have to look at in terms of how do we select food that are less modified things that we could cook at home, or if you could eat it raw, that's probably the best way to do so because even raw food, there's a lot of enzymes that we don't even talk about yeah. that's really needed for your microbiome. Mm. And, and gut health. Mm. Uh, and if you could add in an additional fermented food there, right? Fermented food does not equal to having additional beer, right? Or wine, <laughs> right? Everyone's <laughs> like, yes, fermented. Yeah, that's not, that's not what we talk about. We talk about fermented cabbages and pickles and things of that nature. Miso. Um, yeah. Yeah. Miso, right? Again, even Japan, right? If you look at the Japanese diet, it's chock full of food that's going to support the microbiome. Yeah. How do we, how do they know about these things? And then now we're like, oh my God, they were really smart back in the day. Super smart. Super smart. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's the overall human intuition, right? That mm -hmm. overall knowledge that was instilled on by our ancestors having to carry it on, but the Western culture end up having to be completely collapsed in that sense of that. And we're so busy just feeding people, not nutritionists, we're just feeding people yeah. and just to get to the process. And that's the biggest issue that we see in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Well, I could talk to you for hours and hours, but we're <laughs> running out of time we'll wow, have to get already. you on for a part two, yeah. but I always like Love to, to end. Yeah. I'd like to end the podcast with some fun questions. Sure. Given my background in fitness and nutrition, lots of them are going to be about food. Okay. So if you're stranded on a desert Island and could only choose one food to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? Avocado, that'll be an easy way to do it. I mean, that's a healthy fat. You have carbohydrate there. You can put some uh, stranded islands. So you're going to get some sea salt. So you could. that. 
And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking seaweed. Oh, yeah, you can wrap that avocado in seaweed. There, there, there you go. It's just like it's complete food. There awesome. Uh, what is funny? What is the best meal you've ever eaten? In an expensive restaurant or just any places? Anywhere. I probably have to say it's more simplified, but a great meal that I actually had was an, in, um, in a small winery in Duro Valley in Porto in Portugal. Um, it was a small winery. They actually have a, you know, a big cod and, and, and fresh bread that they just baked and fresh olive oil. Simple food. It's a home-cooked meal, but it was so good and it was so nutritious and, and the overall thing that I really enjoyed was the simplicity of their lifestyle mm. and enjoying and accompanying people and having to really appreciating the every ingredient that the local was bringing in to make a meal like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really appreciated uh, and really liked uh, what I had. And so that was probably the best meal I ever had. And I still end up having to think about that. Uh, the second best meal I probably have was when I've, well, I, I love eating steak anyway. So like a, a dry aged porterhouse for the first time, it's just like, wow, this is a, this is something that I would always cherish. So those are probably, two, probably two. Wonderful. What is your least favorite food? Bean sprout. Bean sprouts. Yeah. I still hate it. <laughs> I hated it when I was little. I still hate it. Oh man. So there. So, um, you know, Asian, Asian food in general use a lot of bean, uh, bean sprouts, yeah. uh, but the way that the, uh, Koreans end up having to use it is they either make it into soup or they end up having to just put on top of rice, yeah. uh, and put some soy sauce or other condiments on there and just mix it together. And, um, I hated that. <laughs> it's just the, the rawness of the, of the crunchiness of the bean sprout. I just hated it. Now I should be able to appreciate a little more, but. I don't enjoy it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. What is your favorite restaurant? My favorite restaurant uh, would be uh, Keen's. It's a steak place in New York City. It's one of the oldest steakhouses in New York City. So I do go there uh, once a year for celebration. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. What's your favorite travel destination that you've been to? favorite travel destination I've been to has to be, uh, Barcelona. Mm. Yeah. Prague is second, but Barcelona, um, just the overall culture there, people, food, um, you name it. I mean, everything was packed into that place and especially the art, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and so I really enjoyed it. I wish I could go back again. Uh, once, um, traveling restriction has been lift it up, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. My husband and I had a, a trip planned to Barcelona and Mallorca for this year. And that didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could go to Canada, but, um, you know, your, your, uh, prime minister says, uh, unvaccinated people cannot come in. I'm just like, I guess I'm not going there for a while. Yeah. He's a tool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Totally fine to say that it's my podcast. What is your most embarrassing moment? My embarrassing moment. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, where do I start? Um, 
you know, man, I don't, I cannot name a lot, but one thing is that, you know, I, I have to say, assuming a lot of things uh, when I first started working as a pharmacist, right? That, that particular aspect that the embarrassment I got as a profession, because when I got out of pharmacy school, I thought, you know, as a, having a doctor in pharmacy and having all this education, I thought that was the end of it all and knowing everything else. Mm. But when I had a particular encounter with a patient and having, having to have a doctor getting involved and getting embarrassed, that really taught me to really humble myself there and really thinking about the, um, the overall situation in a better sense and looking at, you know, the overall white space of a situation and learning mm -hmm. from that. So again, you know, I'm not going into really details about the embarrassment of it, but I, I did make a, a huge mistake there. And that caused a lot of uh, embarrassment within my professional career early on. Um, no one was hurt, but it was the overall that I was, uh, I was not trying to, you know, listen because over my, my arrogance that I actually had back in the day mm -hmm. and learning from that aspect, that really changed my overall mindset of, you know, approaching a situation or even as a, as a profession. Mm, yeah. Humility is so big, isn't it? Yeah. What is the happiest moment of your life? My happiest moment. Yeah. Uh, my happiest moment had to be uh, rejoining with my parents when I was little. So I was born in Korea. My parents were both here studying. So during that time, my grandparents actually raised me from age of four till I was nine years old. And when my parents were done with their studying and they were settled down here, that's when I decided to join them. And that was probably the most uh, memorable moment that I still have to hug my mom and my dad. Uh, so I still cherish that. Oh, that is so wonderful. And what advice would you like to leave our listeners with in regard to their health? To their health. So one of the things that I would say is just I had mentioned before about the doctor of the future is you. The overall healthcare landscape is going to change drastically in the next uh, five to 10 years, I believe. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of the um, other healthcare professionals within our realm of people that we follow would say the same thing is because people are now realizing how broken the overall healthcare system is. Mm -hmm that they have to take in charge in terms of taking care of themselves. And they're now much more in tuned in terms of listening to their body. And so they're trying to, you know, do a healthier lifestyle in terms of eating, you know, uh, de-stressing and everything that goes on to really manage their lifestyle and as well as over health. And so one thing that I would like to at least advise those listeners out there right now Overall healthcare starts with you in terms of learning and empowering, and as well as to instill the uh, practice of healthy living, right? Rather than relying on some healthcare professionals to give you all the solutions. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest thing that everybody has to realize. And that's the thing that will give you complete autonomy of your body, right? That does not mean to get rid of all the, uh, you know, conventional medicine and things like that. There are rooms and places where that has to come into play, but the overall healthcare starts with you as a person. And that starts right now. Love that.
Where can people find you? Sure. Uh, if you're living locally, obviously New York, New Jersey area, I am uh, practicing and as was own a pharmacy in New Jersey, in North Jersey, a town called Mendham. So you can find me there. Uh, if not, you can still find me on my social media. My Instagram uh, tag is uh, at Dr. Dr. John, J-O-H-N, dot PharmD. PharmD, so P-H-A-R-M-D, excuse me. So you can find me there. And as well as I have a website, it's drkimwellness.com. Uh, you could also book a virtual consultation through my website as well. So I am available virtually. I've had uh, consultations done for patients living in Canada and as well as West Coast in United States. So I do talk to everybody and, and I try to teach them as much as I can during the time. So, you know, I am always available. Wonderful. And I'll put all of that in the show notes for our listeners to be able to find you. Thank you so much. Well, this was so wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom and your insight. I know our listeners are going to get so much out of this episode. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I, I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk to your listeners and as well as to instill the message of health. Wonderful. Well, you have yourself a very good day. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. Stay tuned for future episodes and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Always remember, you are powerful over your health.